Hello and welcome back to another episode of Spanky Next, a fetish and BDSM podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Anna, and I'm in the studio with Gregor, and we're here with a very fun episode about leather. Hey, Anna. Hey, everybody. Yes, it's leather this week, and I think it's something that's really long overdue. I mean, who do we think we are? We have this King podcast, and we've never even spoken about leather. Who do so. we think we are talking about human ashtrays and not leather? <laughs> it's true. So, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading this uh, Dazed article. I'm a big, big fan of Dazed magazine. And the article was actually about 10 kinks and fetish-focused Instagram accounts to follow. And there I found Bound Leather Zine. And it's this photography project by Stephen Holwick. Yeah, it's super cool. And I think the thing with leather is when it comes to BDSM, I think it's one of the most notable images of the BDSM community to people outside the community and to people within it. You know, it's very old guardy. It goes back many, many decades. There's leather fetish scene, especially in the queer community. So I think while we haven't tackled it yet because it's just so pervasive and it's we're kind of like, yeah, probably people know that. But I think it's important for us to go back to the basics and talk about, you know, sort of the genesis of BDSM and how how it's changed today. Also, I think because it's a very, very visual topic. So it's also kind of how do you bring it onto a podcast? But that's why I, I was really glad that we found uh, Steve because he comes from photography school. He comes from a really big background in the queer, but also the kink scene. And I really like his access to the whole world of letter kink. He will talk about this more in the episode, but he really had like a fascination where sort of 50s, 60s Americana iconography, the kind of... Tri- not traditional America, but, you know, that kind of look of diners, Marlon Brando type figures, especially like, you know, leather was very pervasive in films at that time and how it's really been adopted by especially the gay community Mm. in fetish scenes. And I think what's really interesting about what he says is that basically all leather bars in New York have closed. So this is a culture that has kind of been killed by technology and that people can quite easily go and hook up on Grindr or whatever dating app uh, someone chooses to use. Whereas these bars that were, you know, these leather bars were very Mm -hmm. much a place to cruise, to meet people, especially at a time where it was illegal or at least stigmatized to be gay. I mean, that's really true. Kind of bar culture, but also cruising culture has changed a lot. And in this case, technology even though in some cases it is a blessing, it's also a curse. Uh, I think probably we should just get into the episode and yeah. let Steve enlighten you about all things leather and kink. So Stephen, Stephen Holwick, welcome to Spanky Next. I found you actually in an article about up-and-coming BDSM Instagram accounts. So maybe do you want to tell people what you do? Sure, yeah, I know. <laughs> it was actually you reaching out that told me that that article even existed. So that was no nice. way. Uh, yeah, I there wasn't aware it was uh, Anastasia had written an article that I did know about for ID, but then I guess got on her radar. Then I met her when I was visiting London and... Uh, 
yeah, it was nice to be included on that list for days. Yeah, very too. nice. Nice surprise for um, Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I am a, an artist, um, mainly working with photography, but other mediums as well. And uh, this project that I've been working on, Bound Leather, has kind of been in the works since um, I finished college or school. Yeah, it's kind of just the the natural trajectory that my work has taken is kind of uh, I've wanted to kind of make a an archive and a database and a record of people that are active participants in the BDSM and leather community. I feel like a lot of the imagery I was looking at was maybe models for hire or it, it, it lacked kind of a reality when mm. I would see something and be like that's hot and then go to like a play space and be like i don't see any of these people like in these advertisements for the event or the party or the whatever the app i didn't see myself represented and as a bigger bigger bodied person i'm sure other people that are categorically neglected from representation felt similar ways so it kind of was a project that i started to insert myself into this community that i was kind of already a part of personally but in a more visual way or kind of making my art revolve around this space and uh, community as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. So let's talk about this sort of disconnect between the imagery, I think, that we're used to seeing in the especially 60s, 70s sort of Americana, leather scene, very, very muscly bodies, like out of a catalogue to the reality. Like, what do you see as like the reality, especially now and how it's maybe changed? but also that maybe that was never the case. I have no idea. Maybe that was just the imagery sold to us. Or it was definitely a time where maybe certain people felt more, it was all you know illegal and hush-hush and everything, but still maybe certain people felt more emboldened to participate and certain people feared more severe repercussions if they were to be participating or active in the community. I think now in 2023, it's definitely a wider net and a lot of, I think, taboos have been broken down. A lot of people that were maybe on the fringes or didn't want to engage necessarily publicly in this space feel a bit more able to through, you know, wider representation in be it, you know, (laughs) Met Gala outfit (laughs) presentations or... Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, like you know, it's it's oh, open. Okay. All yeah. of these things are contentious points and things that people that are, you know, in the scene for years have uh, distinct opinions on. But it, it did definitely like blow the doors open and make people supremely aware of a space that may have just been in like an underwear drawer, shut in their brain for years that they didn't have uh, want to access and now kind of feel emboldened to. So for me, I see if I go to an event or participate publicly in the kink sphere it's definitely very wide the gamut especially if the space allows it to be i know there are some spaces that are male focused or whatever um but if it is kind of an open event i I see all gender presentations all races all body size like it's very 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 diverse and like you were saying in the imagery that i was ingesting uh as a kid it was very white and very muscular. So to see the reality was a disconnect, but something that I definitely wanted to, there felt like there was a space to make work with the people that I was actually seeing engaging with this stuff. Could you maybe explain why there is such a strong connection between the gay or queer community and leather culture? 
I think, I mean, I just think about, you know, the time where this was really at the forefront was like seventies and, and early eighties. And I think, you know, I, as a person who is, was not born for it or lived through it, I have maybe less authority to speak directly on it, but as a, as an, a younger person looking back um, at this kind of <laughs> idealized version of it, I think it was this kind of post-war lean into the countercultural and the rebellious nature that happened with men coming back from war, maybe. There was a lot of biker mm. clubs that formed. And then, at least speaking from a U.S. point of view, I feel like a lot of biker clubs formed and then Hollywood got a hold of it. And then a lot of media was kind of made about this like new man, uh, leather clad kind of rebel, very hetero, you know, focused. Mm. And um, like James Dean you know, kind of like... James Dean, uh, Marlon Brando and the wild one, these like kind of pinnacle of masculinity <laughs> type of depictions that were very rough and tumble and leather focused. Um, and then of course, <laughs> since it was so hyper real, it became kind of a gay or queer latch on thing. Yeah. You know, people saw this and were like, I want to look like that. I want to fuck yeah. that. I want to be with that. Has its own can of worms of toxicity with that yeah. because it is. Especially because it's a hyper masculine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of, you know, continued this toxicity of uh, mask for mask culture and kind of a, a shunning or bottling up of overly feminine the attributes in men. But that, that was the genesis. And I think it's grown from there. And I think aesthetics remain, but kind of there's more openness to play within that in the current climate, at least. Yeah, I think it's one of the looks as an aesthetic that is probably the most familiar to people that you know don't know much about kink or bdsm or the gay community i think it's something people can see and relate it to a kink and i think with this whole sort of masculine sphere i've had friends of mine who are gay who felt very uncomfortable in those very hyper masculine scenes and i guess it has changed a lot so i'm interested to hear from you like especially you're in new york right yes how I know that had a very strong leather community and that maybe it's been lost a bit and or is there a different kind of party that you can go to that is you know available to people yeah I mean I think you know when I think about the 70s and 80s but pre and at the beginning of kind of the AIDS crisis um mm. there were tons of leather bars especially in New York San Francisco all over and I think kind of you know, the AIDS epidemic was kind of the death knell of public facing spaces for this. A lot of things closed. Play was, there was a lot of fear around it. Mm. Um, had this kind of bubble of, of free and exciting thought around sex and kink and play. And then that kind of all got uh, quashed. But recently, you know, there's, we have, I know London just lost a leather bar. Things mm -hmm. are still yeah. closing. Why New do you think that has, is? I, New York has the Eagle. I've gone to the Eagle a few times. It's just, even take leather out of the equation, I think just gay bars. Like, I go to spaces and people are on their phones. I think, oh, like, in-person cruising or in-person meetups are, uh, I, I mean, the, the rise of technology, the rise of app-based meeting and yeah. hookups 
compounded with the pandemic and people losing kind of all social skills. Um, yeah, it's true. I yeah. Think meeting in real life is increasingly difficult and then there's no need for these spaces. Yeah. So it's more like you can you don't need to go to a bar anymore to hook up. You can just do it within five seconds on your phone. Exactly. And then even in going, I'm also 10 years sober. So going to bars is not a frequent uh, occurrence for me, but I do Mm. go if there's an event happening or I know something happening or a specific night that I want, like a, you know, a leather night or whatever that I want to go to, I do go. But even in going, people are still on their phones, on the apps. And it's like this person's two feet away from you it's like yeah no shit they're like right there (laughs) isn't it so weird during all of the pandemic everybody was like we want to go out and we can't be at home anymore and now we can go out and people are still at home or if they go out there on their phones and it's i think Stephen, it's really what you said because um these um very sporadic encounters that you have through your phone they're they are they tend to be even more toxic than in-person encounters no because kind of it's even more superficial yeah, there is that aspect to it. I will say from a younger person's point of view, I've talked to a lot of people that were coming of age or finding their sexuality or finding their fetishes pre-internet. And I feel like incredibly lucky that I had this mm-hmm. kind of giant teacher, <laughs> basically, oh, God, at my disposal. Because, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine liking some of the things I like and feeling like I was the only person, you yeah. know? And yeah. just a quick Google search is like, oh no, like this is very common. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a ton of people. True. There's a whole community. Yeah, it's true. We talk about that a lot actually about how even people, especially on the more like dangerous edge of kinks, how they found their information. Because, you, you know, like now I'm sure you had to find a group and how are you going to find that group if you're living in like some small town outside the city and now you can just find the online community so it, it really has changed for the better in lots of ways i mean that's also how our listeners find us in the end yeah <laughs> right and how the instagram has popped off and how i can share things visually i mean it's it's this yeah. double-edged sword and as much as i want to buck against internet culture and and everything it is like it raised me and helped me get to the point mm-hmm. that i am now mentally with the acceptance of how i want to work and engage Maybe tell us about yourself. How was that for you? How did you start out with your kink and also with your project on Instagram? Um, so, I mean, leather has been kind of a focus sexually for me since I was a very little kid, like even pre-sexual uh, age. I remember being having a very strong uh, attraction to it as material. I thought it was uh, when people wore it around me, family members or whatever, I was like, oh, what's that? And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, as I grew up, it kind of became more intertwined with what turned me on and what I liked engaging with uh, sexually. And then, yeah, as like a young teenager having the internet and finding uh, some now defunct kind of websites, pre-iPhone, pre-apps, but like actual, you know, URL websites that you would have to go and make an account on or whatever. Uh, And video sites and stuff found things and realized that people uh, felt similarly and engaged with this in a, in a more sexual way than I had imagined. I just saw people on TV or in movies or whatever in real life that I thought were hot because they wore certain things. So that kind of became my entry point personally. And then in school, I went to college for a photo at Pratt in Brooklyn. And the focus of the work that I was making was kind of this 
mid-century uh, Americana pinup girls and motel rooms and old classic cars. And I would go to auto shows and go to um, motels in the area or down the beach that were still you know, standing, but had this kind of classic architecture, kind of candy colored. What For whatever reason, I was like very attracted to this mm. era, but it was very, it didn't engage with fetish or sexuality, really. It was mm. just kind of looking at these aesthetics and, and this time period that I was very drawn to. And then after, kind of only after graduating, I kind of like found the like turning point being betty page and i was like okay betty page is this like figure that i've referenced so many times in this work and is this like pinup girl and the photographs that irving claw made of her and these wrestle like woman on woman wrestling pictures or bondage pictures were really interesting to me and then was like thinking well how can this relate to <laughs> my own personal sexuality and identity and everything and kind of stayed rooted in the same time period but the the reference points changed and became kind of this physique pictorial bop miser gay leather zine focus the things that got shipped in discrete envelopes and that were illegal to make and all that was really exciting to me but yeah it was you know rooted in this 50s kind of non diverse <laughs> thing yeah. and i was like okay here's the reference point and then make it uh current so you started a zine, right, in 2017? Yes. So uh, I finished school in 14 and then kind of started shooting lightly with this idea and then realized I'd amassed enough work or some kind of point of view and, and wanted to... A printed matter was kind of always the trajectory. I really like books. I like artist books, zines. Um, the Instagram is like a lovely tool to get in the hands of a lot of people or in, uh, in front of a lot of people's eyes. But um, I love something tangible and that you can hold and flip pages and all that. I agree. I think especially in that kind of era, I think also photographs really well, that whole look, but also you want it to like flip through. It's like a story that you can actually see unfolding, which I, but I think you're right about social media. It's a great way to get it out there, but you still can make print and people want to consume it. Yeah, it's been, it's been really useful um, and nice. And I feel like a very wide sense of community online. And then I do these kind of Xena or book events or publishing events in person and get to meet people in real life. Oh, or, cool. you know, it's, it's a nice, uh, and both, <laughs> it's two separate things, but I like being at the intersection of it because I feel like fetish and, and leather have like a very distinct community. Then mm -hmm. I feel like <laughs> self-publishing and art books have a very- Yeah, 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 for sure. Bringing them together. I love that. What's your typical sort of buyer? Do you have like, who's buying them? Is it like coffee, table books for some people? Is it really fetish books for others? I think kind of both. Yeah, it kind of runs a pretty wide gamut at these. Uh, and it depends on where it is. You know, online, I feel like people that find it via Instagram or, or uh, some kind of article or something, maybe uh, are attacking it from a more fetish uh, perspective or, or are into what they're seeing and want to buy it for their bookshelf or their, their coffee table. And then at these more book-centric places, it might be people that are just collectors of art books or, you know, I, I tried to, I've done a few events in the past that were just book focused and I found it a little challenging and people oh, not yeah? really in interested in the same way as other events so now my focus in doing these things where i'm there in person is definitely has to be like queer or gay in the yeah. 
title of the event uh if it's just like an art book fair i feel like a lot of people were like whoa <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like community yeah, yeah. events yeah yes yeah oh yeah you could get some accidentally quite religious people or something as well that don't like it yeah 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 so i feel like the big two that i do now is new york has a new york queer zine fest and you know it's not all photography people do illustration or just uh informational things merch t-shirts it's like a very wide gamut but like under all under the umbrella of being queer in some capacity and then um the paris ass book fair is the other one i do in paris and it's also okay. very cool oh so you fly queer. over yeah yeah i didn't do it last year but i've done it for the past four years i think nice. before yeah i've actually been to paris a number of times and gone to photography exhibitions and a lot of the time they're queer and kinky i just stumble across it i'm like this is this is great because that's kind of art I was always drawn to as well, especially at university. And then you just go to Paris and it's everywhere. And it's like, great, the French are so much more open-minded in, about sex. Yeah, even, I mean, the last time I was in London, I saw great shows too. But the US specifically is very like puritanical still and it's it's, it's difficult. Um, New York, no, but like no. wide country as a whole, yeah. it's still it's very- a, It's a big uh, country, yeah. Taboo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's big and I think you have more of like a, a more extreme culture wars than- other places I mean we have it like I'm from the UK it's absolutely there but you wouldn't stumble across like super like right-wing or religious people as readily as you might in some areas of America I mean maybe I'm incorrect in that analysis but I, I would I, say that's uh, true yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so you have to be a bit careful how was that because I think you started your account uh, on Instagram in 2017 so it's been six years already and we just talked about how easy it is sometimes to reach out to a big community on Instagram. But at the same time, Instagram is very, very strict when it comes to any form of sexual content. Did you ha ever have problems with that or what, what was your story there? Like I said, I really like utilizing it as a tool and I kind of know what the rules of play are and engage with it accordingly it's not the ideal but also doing it in print and having it live somewhere else it's not the be all end all of where i want my art to be seen you know some people where this is like the platform for them and they feel very confined by the rules and kind of try to post things and then are upset and i've gotten things mm. personally that have been taken down I lost my yeah. Vimeo account. They, they oh, Vimeo is really strict. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was better than YouTube. And me then they took me off. <laughs> they deleted my account. Oh. Um, so censorship, you know, it, it, I'm grateful to be able to work with printers that don't bat an eyelash at the stuff that I want to be printed. And I've never been censored in that way. But Instagram, I know, you know, I always I joke that like people are up in arms that they post a photo and then they're like, this got deleted. My whole account got deleted. And I'm like, it was a photo of your asshole. Like, mm. yeah. of course it got deleted. <laughs> yes. You know? So I try to play by the rules and use it as the tool that it is. You have to, Of yeah. course, things happen, but it definitely, uh, engaging outside of the internet is kind of where I find refuge. <laughs> definitely. I think it's that don't be scared of being online, but you have to know where you toe the line. Like it's to not get shadow banned or anything because uh, our Instagram has been really hard to like expand. I mean, we don't do enough on it maybe, but we've had like stories flagged as inappropriate. And, uh, you know, it's just such an uphill battle that like I know a lot of people that do sexual content are finding it very frustrating. 
it is difficult and like even just you know algorithms or ai or whatever reading mm. language and certain words just kind of being then just like shunted to the bottom or not shown to a lot of people because you wrote one thing or yep. whatever and it's it's kind of a, a wild beast uh to have to you know battle <laughs> at all yeah, times totally. oh, God. Like, yeah that's yeah on point yeah i'm keen to know on a practical sense from photographing in the community, and I speak from experience of us going to fetish fairs um, in the US, uh, we asked to record like a session um, in the play dungeon, just uh, no, anonymously, but there was so much about, yeah, audio, there was so much about consent and um, signing off from lots of people and making sure it's safe. So how do you go about actually preparing and getting consent from the people that you photograph? I think, you know, yeah, it's super, super important. I've I've kind of drawn up a contract that I present people with. If I am organized and smart, I do it before the shoot. <laughs> if I forget mm. <laughs> not, I do it after the shoot um, and pray that they sign it. But it's an interesting conversation and, and it's come up a few times, I feel like, publicly for other artists and things, but, you know, the ethics of portraiture and and especially for me publishing work and ma making money i will say like anytime anybody's <laughs> said that i'm like this doesn't turn a profit it like pays for itself and that's it not yeah, like yeah, yeah. striking gold and getting rich off somebody's photo but for me i think the most important thing is the symbiotic kind of relationship and presenting it as mm. like you give me the rights to utilize these images how i see fit i also give you the rights to utilize these images for whatever you want to use them for oh so kind they can use them too you don't have exclusive rights mutually beneficial you can use it on you know a dating profile you can publish these yeah. photos wherever you want um digitally or whatever and I found a lot of people are open to that as like in a trade. I've uh, paid for a few shoots where it's felt appropriate if people are doing a lot or, um, you know, but yeah, opening the dialogue ahead of time and kind of coming to mm -hmm. coming to a mutually beneficial agreement in terms of usage and things. And I've had people years after the fact say, you know, I'm not comfortable mm -hmm. with you using these pictures anymore. Can you please remove them um, at least online? which I do, you know, I always just want to make everybody as comfortable as they can be. I've shot people yeah. that have since like visually transitioned. I wouldn't use those images of like yeah. pre-transition or, or uh, presenting in a different capacity. Uh, so just, you know, um, trying to be <laughs> as ethical as possible and uh, as nice and kind and communicative with subjects and the community. But also all of it is in a controlled space i'm not going to events and shooting at events where it's that's like, what i was wondering do you yeah. do you do event photography i've been asked to do a couple of events and i've done it once or twice um and it's been fun but thankfully the person that organized the event kind of told everybody that this would be happening or this is a the area of the event where you can be and anybody in here kind of blanketly consents to being in photographs but 99% of the work that I make is in a studio in my mm. apartment. It's discussed ahead of time and it's all very, uh, you know, it's not on the fly. Yeah, I guess people that are doing it have already agreed. Where do you find your models? So at the beginning, it was uh, sex apps, fetish apps and Instagram or word of mouth, people that I knew or I photographed one person and they said, you should meet this person. And now... And I would say it was like 
90% me reaching out to people and asking. And now it's kind of a nice shift or balance of like maybe 50-50. I feel like I reach out to a handful of people and then people are visiting and are coming to New York and saying, you know, I, I know your work. I'd love to work together and feel like it's kind of people have reached out to me lately, which is nice. Oh, cool. That's nice. That's yeah. when you know you're, uh, that's when you know you're getting big. Yeah, you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot less work. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And I, I shoot like as many people as I can. So if the timing where I have a full-time job and all this, but if the timing works out, like I always want to shoot whoever I can shoot. So it's fun. Amazing. Maybe a best experience. <laughs> yeah. So I did this trip to LA back in April. Uh, I had a show of work out there at the um, the Tom of Finland store, and stay. You know, got there to uh, set up the show and, and hang the prints and everything, and be there for the opening, and then stayed there for a couple of weeks. And those are some of the most fun shoots I've had recently. I did like a big shoot at the Eagle LA out there um, with like eight, I think, of the local title holders. So it was like oh, cool. Mr. LA Leather Bear, Mr. You know, um, all of these uh, people that had competed or, or, you know, done these events and gotten a sash and a title and uh, photographed big group shots of them, which is really fun. And then I took a little triad group of adult film actors to the madonna inn in oh. uh, san luis obispo in uh california which is this like very kitschy hotel like all the rooms are a different theme and look it's like, like madonna the singer or like the religious figure i think the family's name <laughs> was madonna oh okay isn't it the same anyway i think neither but i'm sure both would have loved it there i love how you're like neither i'm like it must have been either one of those two um, <laughs> it was like very campy kitschy rooms and did this like you know uh cowboy shoot in a room that had like uh horse horse print curtains and wood paneled walls and it was i i, I like uh making spaces to photograph in but it's like such a nice alternative to find a space that's just like perfect to shoot it ready made maybe tell people where they where they can find you where they can buy your art and also about the book you've published so last year i've been doing the zine yet for a while and last year i did uh, uh compiled a bunch of images from the past almost 10 years of shooting this project uh together into a hardcover kind of coffee table looking book called by the skin of my teeth um, had three really great interviews where I talked to people about like their relationship with the word fetish and what that means and uh, how they navigate it. I interviewed a, an adult film actor, my friend Kembra, who's like a multidisciplinary kind of performance artist and musician, but used to model in SM magazines in the 90s. Oh, cool. Um, it was a good perspective to have. And then my friend Destiny, like, grew up religious, but is now, you know, engaging in this scene and community. So just having fun conversations with people and publishing it in this book. And it was the first time I'd used, uh, like, <laughs> words and and <laughs> things printed in usually the photo zine is just photography so it was this nice kind of uh chapter close on the project or at least like a, a rest resting point of like 10 years of imagery and a, a lot of nice thoughts on my relationship and other people's relationship to the community um but it sold out <laughs> i was gonna say we'll put a link to it in the show notes and i want a copy of it but it's too late are you gonna publish um, more 
I'm going to try, yeah, to print a second edition um, soon. I just have to, you know, it's all self-published and self-funded and I have to like gather a ton of money to put down mm. to put out first. And then once people start buying them, I can recoup some of the, the money lost or whatever, or maybe do a, a pre-sale for people that want a second edition and see how it goes. But I would like to uh, do that again. But yeah, that was sold in a couple of stores, but mainly I sell stuff, zines, prints, uh, merch, apparel, <laughs> all kinds of stuff on my own store, which is um, boundleatherzine.com. Uh, the Instagram is boundleatherzine on Insta, and that's kind of the two places that my stuff lives. <laughs> well, everyone should go at least follow you, wait for that pre-sale whenever it does come out. We'll put links to everything in our show notes as well so people can find you. And I think apart from that, thank you so much yeah. for coming on and talking about Thank you so much for coming on the show, yeah. Oh, thank you for asking me. It was a pleasure. And I've listened to some other episodes and I love what you guys are doing. Okay, everyone, that was Steve Horwick talking about leather fetishes. We'll put all the links to his work in the show notes. So if you're really interested in buying any of his zines or just checking out his work, you can go there. His Instagram is really cool. Actually, I think this is what I most like about this podcast. All the famous people who follow me now on Instagram because we interview them. We will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, we also want to do some little maybe festive episodes when we're coming into the Christmas oh, period. Yeah. Christmas is coming, yeah. Cool. So, so if your eyes peeled as ever, like, subscribe, tell your friends yeah. about us. You know what we should do, actually? We should do another fetish phone-in before Christmas, or maybe as a Christmas. Yeah, um, you know, I was thinking, like, you know, some audio porn. I've been really getting into it myself, Gregor, so I'm, I'm keen. Yes, let, let's do something. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about all the content we have lined up for you. And um, until then, keep it kinky. Keep it kinky. Don't forget to subscribe to Spanky Next on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Spanky Next Podcast. If you'd like to connect with people who share your kinks, sign up to Fetish.com for free or download the Fet app from Google Play Store and the App Store now. And for any one of you who is looking to deepen their knowledge of kink, head to the BDSM training school on fetish.com and enroll in a course now. And last but not least, shout out to our producer Billy Cragen, our kinky team and everyone who makes this podcast possible. <laughs>